What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this helpful video I explain why you should never copy someone else's dividend portfolio, something that I see happening all the time. But first please consider hitting that thumbs up button, subscribing if you haven't yet, and clicking that bell notification. Now I've been building my dividend investing social media content for over 4 years now, and in that time I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of investors. I've seen that many folks understandably like to copy the investments that others make, especially from people who seem to be doing well. But even copying Warren Buffett's portfolio might not make sense for you. Buffett often gets special benefits when he invests in something, benefits that you and I wouldn't get. For example, Buffett made a $5 billion investment in Bank of America back in 2011, and in exchange for his investment he received $5 billion in Bank of America preferred stock, and 10-year warrants to purchase 700 million shares of the bank at about 7 bucks per share. Buffett was offered that deal because of the weight his name carries, combined with the amount of money he was willing to invest. Or a few years ago, it was announced that Berkshire Hathaway would purchase Duracell from Procter & Gamble in a $4.7 billion sale. But this wasn't a standard deal, and Buffett had a unique advantage unattainable by the average investor. At that time, Berkshire Hathaway had $4 billion in P&G shares, which had grown to their current levels through massive share price appreciation. If Berkshire had sold the shares, it would have had to pay a ton in capital gains taxes. Instead, Buffett swapped billions in P&G shares for Duracell and had Procter & Gamble inject $1.8 billion into Duracell before it was sold to Berkshire. Through this carefully crafted deal, Buffett managed to obtain a solid business while avoiding taxes on the gains he made on Berkshire's P&G shares. Ordinary investors could never execute such a large swap deal, and because stocks can rarely be swapped for others tax-free, most investors will find it difficult to escape capital gains taxes entirely. The point is that the calculus Buffett uses to do a trade won't line up to what you'd be getting for seemingly doing the same thing as him, not to mention that what guides his investing is quite different from you or I. I mean, we aren't investing for a ton of shareholders, are we? Now I do think it's helpful to be aware of what famous investors do, so following what Michael Burry is up to or what Ray Dalio is saying or whatever can help expand your financial IQ, but I personally wouldn't just copy what anyone does. And speaking of Buffett, do you know what he said is the best investment you can make, something that isn't even taxed at all? It's actually not even a stock, but instead he feels that the best thing you can do for yourself is to focus on continual self-improvement and stay on top of the game in your chosen field. He said, and I quote, Whatever abilities you have can't be taken away from you. They can't be inflated away from you. And so the best investment by far is anything that develops yourself, and it's not taxed at all. So learn from Buffett, but don't blindly copy his portfolio. The fact is that each person's reasons to invest are unique to them, and each person has their own realities and risk tolerances, and have different time frames for returns in mind. And there are a ton of other considerations that make it so that copying someone is probably asking for trouble. And beyond truly successful investors, you should also be wary of copying YouTubers' portfolios, so please don't copy my dividend portfolio either. I mean, I'm someone who puts a premium on passive income, and I'm at a point in my life where I'm fine to sacrifice some stock appreciation potential in order to continue to get a higher yield of dividend income. That being said, I believe that the best way to enable long-term returns is via dollar-cost averaging into broad market ETFs like VTI. But I personally still prefer to not have to sell shares to pay my bills due to my own realities, which encompass my health, my family's need for income if I'm not around, and my own preferences in psychology. But if you're young, then you probably are focused on increasing your portfolio size, which means your investments shouldn't look just like mine. Of course, some of my tickers may be worth considering, even if you're younger. Like if you can find Microsoft or Apple below their intrinsic values, then they might be worth considering. I have some other stocks that might also be worth investing in, but it really depends on you and your needs and risk tolerances. Plus, my primary goal isn't to outperform the market. 
I just want decent returns and a decent yield such that I can remain retired and sleep well at night. If I wanted to optimize my chances to outperform the market, then I'd not hold some of my investments, like my tobacco stocks. In fact, today I got this tweet from a longtime follower who said that it might be time to dump my BTI position. The reason he said that was because the UK government is set to introduce a historic new law to stop children who turn 14 this year or younger from ever legally being sold cigarettes in England in a bid to create a smoke-free generation. Proposed new legislation will make it an offense for anyone born on or after January of 2009 to be sold tobacco products, effectively raising the smoking age by year each year until it applies to the whole population. This has the potential to phase out smoking in young people almost completely as early as 2040. And that sort of regulation and risk is why I wouldn't recommend tobacco stocks in younger people's portfolios, even though I hold 10% of my dividend portfolio in those sin stocks. I mean, I look at the risk and returns and I'm okay with it, but again, for most people it's probably smarter to simply go with a broad market ETF. My guess is that tobacco companies will continue to pivot their products into other ways for people to get their fixes that will align to laws, and thus will continue to be able to pay out a nice yield, but what do I know? Beyond my synth stocks, I also own some energy stocks, which have their own risks with them, given how renewables are taking over and such. The TLDR and all that is that I have my reasons and risk tolerances for doing what I do, but those reasons likely differ from what makes sense for you to do. Like in my last video called, What I Learned Living on Dividends for 3 Years, I shared some insights into some tough health conditions I have, which explain part of the reasons as to why I'm partial to dividends. I need passive income flowing into me without me having to do anything for it, both for my sake and for my family's sake. And please don't let the fact that I have a YouTube channel influence you to copy me. In fact, don't blindly copy any channel on YouTube. Like, there's this successful financial YouTuber I once watched, and I noticed that he was investing in bonds in his 20s, and I'd never tell someone in their 20s to hold any bonds. Does that mean that I'm too aggressive, or was he too conservative, or is it something else altogether? Either way, I'd definitely push my kids away from investing in bonds at a young age. Now, he was new to investing, but being young doesn't mean you can't share useful insights on YouTube, and being an experienced investor doesn't mean you have valuable information to share. Side note, I actually looked at this guy's portfolio today after not watching any of his videos for a few years, and I was kind of surprised to see that his portfolio was totally different from where it once was. I mean, I'd estimate that 90% of the stocks he owns today were different than 4 years ago, which is another reason why I wouldn't copy anyone on YouTube, regardless of how many followers they have. In my experience, someone who changes their portfolio that much in such a short period of time usually means either, number one, they haven't found their groove yet with investing, so are moving into and out of companies as they figure themselves out, or number two, they just are naturally a more aggressive trader than I recommend being, or maybe number three, they didn't have conviction with their stocks to begin with, or whatever, I honestly have no idea. But I do know that the more someone mucks with their portfolio, the worse they often do, though there are always exceptions. Again, I'm just speaking in generalities to make the point that you don't want to copy me or what anyone on YouTube is doing. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch their videos, because they could be entertaining, or they could be sharing insightful information. I just mean don't copy them. Heck, when I look at my last four years on YouTube, I'd estimate that over 95% of the dividend channels I used to see have either changed their investing strategies completely, have changed their portfolios completely, or have stopped posting dividend content at all. Like one channel that started a bit before I did ended up changing from dividend investing into SPAC investing until SPACs crashed, and now his channel is gone. I don't know why, but there you go. Another channel that used to exist was all in on dividends at one time, but then switched all into crypto until that crashed and now they stopped posting videos. Again, I have no idea the reason why they stopped posting, but if you've been copying their trades then your portfolio probably would have gotten wrecked. Another dividend investing channel I used to know about switched to penny stocks, seemingly for more clicks, and then they quit posting altogether. So be careful. There is a financial YouTuber with a ton of subs who has videos about penny stocks he's buying and meme stocks you could trade on, all of which makes me cringe. 
And another financial YouTuber, also with a ton of subs that was focused on dividend stocks, also pitched buying meme stocks. Then another channel I used to check out stopped talking about blue chip dividend stocks in favor of focusing seemingly just on small cap EVs, all of which have fallen over 90%, and which again illustrates my point that you don't want to just copy YouTubers. Which reminds me of a red flag that you want to watch out for, which is when a YouTuber is trying too hard to push you to buy a stock. I'm not talking about when they say something seems cheap. I mean when they do video after video about a large position of theirs and how it's so awesome and how it's going to 10x or moon or whatever. Videos like that sometimes unfortunately influence desperate people who are wanting to make money quickly. But the more fervently someone on YouTube is pitching a stock, the less I'd listen to that advice. And heck, the more your mindset is of needing to get rich quickly, the more I'd step back and reconsider what you're doing. Your investing should be for long-term wealth appreciation, with an understanding that in the short term all bets are off, and you need to be able to handle years of bad markets, or don't even enter them to begin with. Now I'm not saying a YouTuber shouldn't pitch a stock that they think is a good deal, I'm just saying be careful with what you do. Listen to their ideas, but make sure to dig deeper into the company to understand its financial trends over many years, their products and services, their competition, the evolving market landscape, etc. I'm also not saying that you should never sell stocks and buy new ones, but massive changes over a few years usually means you didn't do enough due diligence to begin with. Bottom line, each person is different. I mean, some of those YouTubers are probably pulling in hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars a year from their online courses or their Patreon or whatever. They might be much more willing to risk their portfolios on riskier things since so much money is flowing in. Or not, I honestly don't know. The key thing is that copying YouTubers, even ones that align to your thinking, probably isn't what you want to be doing. Anyways, I'm someone who loves dividends as a retirement strategy and have crafted a portfolio that works for me, so hopefully you watching my videos will allow you to see the pros and cons of what I'm doing as you figure out what makes sense for you. Like I'm not a fan of the 4% retirement rule. For reference, the 4% rule is a popular retirement withdrawal strategy that suggests that retirees can safely sell 4% of their portfolio in the first year and then adjust that amount by inflation in each subsequent year for 30 years, which is how long most retirement portfolios hopefully will last at least, based on historical analysis. That means some portfolios could last 50 or more years doing that, though you could also be an edge case portfolio that doesn't make it to 30. There are some assumptions involved with it, but that's the basics. Some folks say it should be modified to be a 3% rule these days, given a variety of changing market realities, so maybe it's more of a guideline than a rule. Plus obviously if you're somebody who has much higher medical expenses than the average person, then the 4% rule or guideline might not work out so well. Or if you live through a historically bad market for decades, then that retirement strategy might end up leaving you with nothing long before 30 years is up. Now the upside of the 4% approach is its simplicity. The downside is that it still has some risk in it, and it's not optimized to each individual person. And in fact, as I was working on this section of the video, I coincidentally got a notification of a comment from someone who said, I don't really understand the 3-4% to rule. You aren't selling dollars, you're selling shares. If you sell shares, given enough time, you will eventually run out of them. I'm sure that people will disagree with me, but based on this line of reasoning, you can't create a dividend with Berkshire Hathaway. What you are really doing is selling the geese that lays the golden eggs. So let me show you a brief example to see if that helps explain things. Let's pretend you're following the 4% thing, and your portfolio is worth 250 grand. In year 1 you'd sell 4% of your stocks, which means $10,000 worth. You'd then take that cash and potentially pay tax on it, depending on the type of account you had and a bunch of other factors, and whatever is left is what you'd use to live on. At that point your portfolio would be at 240000 Twelve months later you're ready to take another distribution. Over that time let's assume inflation had been 5% and the stock market in your portfolio went up 8%. Now your portfolio would be worth 259200 and the amount you withdraw will be 5% more than the 10000 you withdrew last time, which means 10500 taking your portfolio to 248700 etc. 
So while it's true that you're selling some stock, the theory is that as long as the markets trend up over time, and as long as your portfolio follows the market, then your portfolio should be able to last for decades. In some years, if the market goes sideways or down, then your portfolio would trend down faster. In the years the market goes up nicely, then you'd probably trend up. And that's basically how it works, and you can see how things can get more stressful when inflation is high or the market is doing poorly. Like imagine someone who is in retirement and doing the 4% rule in 2001. For the next 11 years the market went basically sideways, which means your portfolio was probably dropping fast. But after 2011, things started picking up again. And back to the comment, that person is correct in the sense that you are selling part of your geese that lays the eggs, but as long as the geese grows or remains as long as you need to keep taking it out, then you'd be okay. That all being said, I'd be bothered too much if I had to sell shares to get money, because I'd feel like I was gradually sinking, even with the fact that stocks tend to appreciate over time. And so my dividend strategy is aligned to my personality, even though dividends also have various risks associated with them. Now, some people will point out that there isn't a difference between getting dividends versus selling shares because they both have a similar impact on share price and your number of shares and portfolio value and such. However, in my experience, there are other things that come into play to the point that I disagree with people who say that there's no difference. One thing I've noticed is anecdotal, which is that when blue chip dividend stocks drop in price, their yield goes up, and that often acts as a beacon for other dividend investors to buy shares. And that seems to happen at a greater amount than low prices on non-dividend stocks attract buyers, probably due to human psychology and due to the yield aspect. Of course, some people run away when things are falling, but the smart investors usually run towards opportunity. Another key difference with dividend stocks is the fact that they are passive, which presents a slew of benefits that people like myself value, making them different from having to sell shares. So no, selling shares is not just the same thing as getting a dividend automatically. Now some people have talked to me about how they have left instructions for their significant other on how to liquidate their non-dividend portfolio in case they aren't around, and I think doing that is smart. But in some cases I fear that that won't work out as nicely as you'd hope. Like I've left a variety of instructions for my wife in case something happens to me. But part of my reality is that my wife isn't someone that is great with numbers, and so I wouldn't feel confident in her selling stocks. My mom is even worse with money. I've been helping her with some of her bills for over a decade, and a few years ago she showed me her checkbook, and I quickly saw that one of her recurring bills had gone up from 50 bucks a month to over 300 bucks. Now most normal people would see a big change in a monthly bill and they'd dig into it, but not my mom. She was used to my dad doing all that, but once they got divorced she had to start paying bills on her own, and she never built up that skill set to realize when things were out of whack. Part of that has to do with being bad with numbers, and part is probably due to simply getting old. So while dividends probably wouldn't magically make up for someone who is blindly paying bills without thinking if they look reasonable, the automated aspect of dividend income coming in is a huge value I get versus the risk of trying to have someone log into a portfolio and sell shares of stocks to get income. But are you in a similar situation as me that should cause you to love dividends like I do? Maybe. Plus I'm someone who is often willing to pay a premium to save time. Like maybe I'll Uber Eats a Starbucks order instead of walking there or waiting in line. But would you do that? My point is that the value I put on automation and time savings helps influence my investing decisions, and thus all that helps explain part of my love of investing in dividend stocks. Now I am often frugal, but sometimes the allure of food and drink delivery gets to me. Everyone has their own vices, and everyone should optimize their portfolios to themselves. If you look at my kids' portfolios, they look radically different from mine. They own fewer stocks at a higher ownership percentage in companies like Amazon and Google, because their needs and risk tolerances are materially different than mine, and my portfolio is there to act as a safety net for them. My point is that you only know some details about me, so trying to copy me, or anyone, isn't always going to make sense. So instead of copying, just use me as a data point in part of your overall research process. And speaking of researching things, 
A few days ago I was reading through an article on Yahoo which was talking about REITs, and the comments section highlighted what I feel is a classic mistake that people who don't invest often make. Like this one guy said, don't invest 215 grand into a REIT, instead just pay yourself a thousand bucks a month for 18 years. 14 people thumbs up his comment and only 2 people thumbs down it. Basically he was saying just put your cash in the bank and then withdraw it until it's gone. Now having some money in the bank makes sense, and when interest rates are high it often makes more sense, but the mistake I see all the time is from people who don't invest in stocks at all because they focus on the market crashes and worry about them and don't think about the long term wealth creation potential. The risk is too much for him. And then here's another comment who said that investing 43 grand to only make 2400 a year seems stupid because it would take him 22 years to get his money back. But what he isn't factoring in is that most good stocks tend to appreciate in value over time and that good dividend stocks also pay out dividends on top of the potential appreciation. And here's a similar comment from someone who said he'd pay himself a thousand bucks every month for the next 23 years instead of investing in any stock. And then this guy commented that a thousand dollars a month, which is about what a $200,000 investment would make in something like realty income at today's prices, isn't even remotely worth the hassle. I guess he didn't feel that the juice was worth the squeeze. So sure it takes some effort to research what stocks to invest in, and what sorts of accounts, and when to buy, and blah blah blah, and you may have stress when your stocks go down, but I would argue that the juice is worth the squeeze if you stick with it for long enough. That reminds me of how we were celebrating a relative's birthday last weekend, and after dinner we were chatting and someone was complaining about how they could only lose a pound a month if they tried, and a pound a month seemed pointless to them. Now they were a very sedentary person, so my first thought was to wonder why they didn't work out more to get their metabolism going. But the thing that really struck me was that they felt that losing only a pound a month was too slow relative to the effort it took to lose the weight, yet they constantly stressed about being too fat. My attitude is that 12 pounds a year isn't too slow, it's 12 freaking pounds so just do it. In 5 years that's 60 pounds, and 60 pounds even for an obese person is a nice chunk. So maybe I'm just an optimist, but my take is just do it, even if it seems slow. I think that perspective that things take too long to be worth it is similar to how a lot of people look at investing. Like they feel like if they can't hit a home run right away, then why even try? Take a look at this comment I got yesterday on my vid. They said, lol, you would have to have millions of dollars into monthly dividend stocks to be able to live on them, and even 500k wouldn't be a sustainable amount. I'm not sure why they mentioned monthly dividend stocks, but regardless, that person is seemingly making an all or nothing conclusion to things, which misses the bigger point that any amount of investing is probably putting you on a better long term path, assuming your financial house is in order. So let's say you own some quality stocks that generate $100 of dividends a month. Well, isn't that better than nothing? Don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Strive to go on a better path, even if it's not the ideal path, and even if you won't achieve all the goals you want. Another classic mistake I often see in comments is this other one I saw on Yahoo. This guy said there are REITs that have 17% yields right now, so invest in those, and another guy saying something similar about REITs paying 9-11% and how it's easy money. I personally would probably shy away from 17% yields, and I wouldn't go into anything thinking it's easy money. Anyways, hopefully now you can understand why I wouldn't recommend copying what other people do with their portfolios, whether they're on YouTube or not. And now I'd like to finish things off with a shout out to my latest Patreon aristocrat, who just snagged my only open seat, and his name is Nate DeGrate. Aristocrats get access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in many of my videos, and they gain access to multiple private channels on my Dividend Discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them to the public, as well as I let them vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. I also add Aristocrats to my scrolling news ticker on my videos if I still have space in it. Finally, I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. I paid for their premium membership for years because I value their articles and associated comments so much, and these days I'd literally never buy or sell a stock without first reviewing what Seeking Alpha had on it. 
So I recommend you sign up to them using my affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. Whatever you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 10,000 dividend investors on it from 76 countries around the world. And please follow me at GenXDividend on X. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.